homophobic. Okay. We just started the podcast by saying, hello, LGBTQ community. And our Zoom immediately stopped recording and said recording stopped. The homophobia, it really popped off. Have you seen that TikTok where like, it's like this little boy asking Siri if she supports gay rights. And she's like, I can't answer that question. And he's like, that smells like homophobia to me. No. Maybe an iPhone. I have an iPhone, yeah. Siri, right now. <laughs> We're checking. What if AI is homophobic? That's a horror novel idea right there. That's very scary to me. Um, okay, how do I ask Siri? Hey Siri, support gay rights. <gasps> she goes, hmm, I don't have an answer for that. Is there something else I can help you with? Siri, are you homophobic? Oh, she just straight up is not gonna answer that one. Siri, just homophobic. She says, I like all humans, and I think all of them deserve friendship, respect, and love. Okay, Miss All Lives Matter. I didn't ask you about that. Siri's canceled. Stupid bitch. <laughs> Siri's canceled. She's done. Anyway, as we were saying, hello, LGBTQ community. I'm Liza. I'm Riz. And this is the Little Sleep Much Reading Podcast. Finally, from so little sleeping and so much reading, His brain dried up, and he went completely out of his mind. I was one of the wow, 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 wow. You sound like a peanut parent. (laughs) That's my favorite. Who's your favorite peanut character? Um, probably, well, the Snoop, oh, Peppermint Patty. Gay? I was going to say, speaking of gay people, Peppermint Patty, hello, that's the gayest bitch I've ever seen. Mine is Linus. I almost said Linus before I said Peppermint Patty. I love Linus. Um, I do love Snoopy, but I feel like you can't say Snoopy. I like Woodstock better than I like Snoopy. Interesting. Hot take. Do you have a least favorite peanut? Charlie Brown is just annoying. He is, but I always feel really bad for him because Lucy's so mean to him. I would be too, so I support that. That's true. He's always just in a pickle. He got a rock, you know, when he was trick-or-treating, so. I would give him a rock too. You'd see that little bald baby come up to your door and give him a whole rock. With all his holes in his little costume. Like I he know. Did he did it wrong. He needs a rock. He needs a rock. Um, I love the Great Pumpkin. 
It's a classic. I'm kind of upset that we don't have anything. Peanut. Right, at, at work. Like, how come we don't, like, not even any bags? Not even any peanut bags? Are y'all serious? Isn't that weird? Are y'all serious? That is weird. Huh. I'm going to write to the corporation. I'm going to say, where's your 1 800 the book? Hmm? 1 800 the book. 1 800 the book. <laughs> not spawns. <laughs> How silly, how silly, Goofy. But where was I going with that? But somewhere I was going somewhere with the but. Um, oh, why does my brain stop working? You might need to take a crack at it because my brain just exploded. Mm-hmm. Nuts and butts. Gay. <laughs> Is that where you were going? That's not where I was going. Oh. But it feels like a good segue, especially because I'm obsessed with the cover of your book for this week. And I was like, can we put it on the bookstore um, social media? And my boss was like, no, you absolutely cannot. And I was like, why? It's a bag of plums. And then I realized that it's a ball sack. Mm-hmm. I've been carrying it with me for a week now, not even reading it, just carrying it. Yeah. And every time I took it out to read, I was like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> I can't read this. You got balls out? Like, I was going to read it when I was at Nick's house, mm-hmm. like with his dad. And then I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> That's a sack of balls. Um, I didn't even realize. I'm, I said, I don't see shit. I see a bag of plums. I saw everything. But But it is a bag of balls, and it is gay. Mm -hmm. And it came from... Am I saying it? Are you saying it? No, you say it. (laughs) The closet. The closet. It came from the closet. Um... One of our favorite small presses ever. Ever. Perhaps our favorite small. I think we can just go ahead and say our favorite. I mean, I can't think of. They're definitely my favorite. I don't know, though, because I just found that the Creature Press, and that one kind of is taken. That one's kind of nice. Creature Publishing, reach out to us. (laughs) But I also love Coffee House Press. We love small presses. We love small presses. Um, But our favorite, we'll just... It, because it basically is our favorite, is the Feminist Press. And this past spring or summer, they sent us an advanced reading copy of a book called It Came From the Closet, which is now on shelves near you, and we can finally talk about it. One thing I wanted to ask you that I don't know. Yes. Does feminist press mm-hmm. s- like send their books to big corporations? See, that's a good question because I don't have a lot of feminist press books at my bookstore, if any. 
I can't think of one off the top of my head. I think we might have had Taste Like War. But remember that ended up getting nominated for a prize. Right. Um, but theoretically, it would be a buying situation. So if like the book buyers at your local store were interested, I think they could, but I'd have to check that in the system to see if we have a, like, if they have a relationship with feminist mm -hmm. press. But I got all my feminist press books that I've had in the past directly from their website or um, from Greenlight Bookstore in Brooklyn. Which is really the right way to do it. Which is the right way to do it. Um, yeah, we heard that it's only available as an ebook through some mediums, and we were like, what the hell? Um, but it's also at plenty of indie bookstores near you, mm -hmm. like 100%. So everybody should get their hands on it now that it's out. It is. I. I... Now that I'm thinking about it, okay. The cover for my book, one of my favorites. I've seen this year mm -hmm. and the cover for it came from the closet. One of my favorites that I've seen this year. Yeah. I've been so excited for this book to come out simply just because of the cover. Like it's so good. It's so good. Whoever designed it. I want them to design everything because it's, it's just, it's wonderful. Um, for those who haven't seen it yet, first of all, go look it up, add it to your cart on your indie bookstore website. Um, but it's a grave that says it came from the closet with a little limp zombie hands, <laughs> gay, coming out of it. We love it. It's got a rainbow in the background. It's a rainbow. And it looks, I mean, the co the colors are phenomenal, but it reminds me very like 90s, 2000s yearbook. Yeah. I get that vibe. Digital, I don't know, like digital art, you know? It's very camp. We love. I also just realized that this episode, which we're filming at 10.30 p.m., which I may be the latest we've ever recorded an episode, except for maybe that time in Aruba was pretty late at night. Um, but it's a late night double feature picture show. I just got straight up chills. That's so wild. Isn't that wild? I love that we did that. I love that we did that. Um, it's astounding. And time is fleeting. We're just actually gonna perform all of Rocky Horror. That's that's what we're doing. Have you ever seen it in New York? I have once. I'm jealous. I know. I I want you to come for Halloween because that would be so slight, but that would be so fun. Because they're doing it at three dollar bill, which is um a gay institution here in in the Big Apple in Brooklyn. Uh, they're doing a performance of Rocky Horror there. Three dollar bill, I think, also hosted the. If I'm not mistaken, I think three dollar bill hosted the. It came from the closet launch party. Oh, really? Yes, I'm, I think so. Um, and Miss Carmen Maria Machado was there. If I saw her in the flesh, I'd pass away. 
I think I would die on I would I would I would fangirl like I've never fangirled like I would fangirl if I met Harry Styles yes yes agreed um she's actually our lord and savior did you guys know that did you know that <laughs> they might have guessed by now we talk about her we hey we talk about her sometimes only sometimes not all the time not yeah. like not yeah. like every episode Um, but yeah, it's a late night double feature picture show because we are splitting It Came From the Closet into two nights of fun. This week, I'll be talking about the first half of the book. Next week, Marissa will be talking about the second half of the book. And then this week, Marissa's talking about a queer horror book. And next week, I'm talking about a queer horror book. Fun for all, everyone involved. Well, it's just fun to pair it off that way, I think. I think so, too. Especially because in every single... So, It Came From the Closet is an anthology made up of 25 essays from queer writers. And each of them is dissecting one horror movie in a queer way. And so it's kind of fun to, like look at that and then be dissecting a contemporary queer horror novel. I had to blow my nose. She was blowing her little nose. I had to blow it. Um, we already talked about your cover, but what, what did you read? What are you treating us with? So I read Manhunt by Gretchen Felker Martin. Should I, I should say what it's about, right? Cause you just, yeah, you just said what it, you're, okay. So pretty much um, two trans women are surviving the apocalypse or it's really post-apocalyptic. Um, and for this apocalypse, there is uh, a, I can't think of what the, there's like a, a sickness that went around, which name is kind of silly and I can't think of it right now and it's going to bother me. Um, but how it worked is it affected men and made them into what I, it, it doesn't call it this in the book, but they're almost like zombie-like creatures um very disgusting um and also because they are trans women if they don't have their medicine they will start to feel the effects of this sickness this disease um and also because they are trans women there are women who hunt them um, out of falsified fear, I guess. And yeah, so that's what I will say for now. Yeah, I'm so excited. This has been on my TBR. Rightfully so. I'm going to tell you right now. Um, Miss Carmen Marie Machado, 
literally said a modern horror masterpiece right on the front and I was like okay no it really honestly is like this is this like how you were just talking about an AI horror yeah hates queer people yeah that would be like modern horror that's pushing the boundaries of things that's what this book does it it like totally makes you think about apocalypse and um zombie sickness contagion type horror in a completely different way and we love that i love that i'm so excited i'll ask more questions later uh i'll wait I guess I'll dive into the first half of It Came From the Closet. And um, we're not going to do the rating scale this time around because it is 25 essays by 25 different people. And that just feels like it's very hard to sort of pinpoint all of the different things that we like to talk about when we do the podcast. So this is more just going to be like a fun little discussion to get everybody excited for the books. Let me just pull up my notes. My notes. Okay. So this collection, by the way, is edited um, and put together by Joey Valesi. Introduction by him as well. And he may even have an essay in it too, but I can't. Yes, he does have an essay that's at the end of part one. But yeah, 25 different essays, all looking at different pieces of queer horror cinema. Put an asterisk there. Not all the book, not, sorry, what am I talking about? Not all the movies that they talk about were marketed as queer or are even perceived as queer by the general public. But to see queer authors looking at these movies that we wouldn't necessarily think of as queer cinema through a queer lens was so freaking cool. If you know Marissa and I, you know we love horror theory like almost more than anything else on this earth. And seeing horror theory mixed with queer theory, mixed with feminist theory in this beautiful like amalgamation of essays was just such a little treat. Trick or treat, this was a treat. And I guess I kind of just want to talk about some of the essays that I read and some of the essays that I liked the most. I will say my half of the book did have Carmen Maria Machado's essay, which was on Jennifer's body which is my favorite horror movie of all time. And I loved the sort of take that she had on it that some people will say, 
that Jennifer's body was queer baiting, but I think it was a really gorgeous representation of bisexuality. And I actually have a whole entire 10 page essay (laughs) about Jennifer's body that I remember diving into a bunch of different horror theory, but one of them was the repressed and the oppressed. And I talked about repressed bisexuality, quoting, I can't even remember now the person who originally said it, but like the whole theory that a lot of people are repressing their bisexuality and everybody should just live their life. Um, And we, we find bisexuality we as a society not we uh, as in marissa we as a society find bisexuality repulsive and how that works its way into horror and how that works its way into jennifer's body the most beautiful movie of all time um so it was such a little treat to have carmen marie machado my favorite author talking about my favorite movie and i love her and i thought the essay was amazing but funnily enough it wasn't even my favorite in my half of the book um there was a lot of really cool shit going on in the part i'm going to talk about you guys with you guys today my favorite essays were A Demon Girl's Guide to Life by S. Trimble, which was about the exorcist. And A Working Definition of the Monstrous by Ryan Dezlevskounds. I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing your last name wrong. D-Z-E-L-Z-K-A-L-N-S. So, I hate when people mispronounce my name, so I'm very sorry. But Ryan, your essay about Godzilla, astounding. Uh, Some might even say life-changing. I loved it. Let me start getting into... I really highlighted a lot in this book, which I also don't usually do. Um, I'm not an annotator, but this book felt like it needed to be annotated. The best way I can think of to describe this book is it is such a fun read and it is bingeable because the essays are all quite short and you want to just keep reading and keep reading. But the coolest thing about this book to me is the learning aspect of it. I love to learn. I love thinking about things in like a scholarly way I love thinking about how I would teach something versus how it's being taught to me I love learning so this book was like it's this sounds kind of silly but like it's not like it was one of the most educational books I've read so far this year and I was just gobbling it up gobbling it up and I think that's why I annotated it so much because I was like oh my god I just learned a new thing what a crazy way to look at this so I think that's kind of what came over me there But I want to talk about some of my favorite sort of passages from some of the sections that I really liked. Um, Let me see. Oh, I actually also really loved one of the essays, which was about the blob. And that was really cool too and like you never expect any of these like all three of the ones that are my favorite the exorcist the blob and godzilla 
do we ever think of those as inherently queer? No, which is also funny because Marissa and I were talking about The Exorcist last week and about how it, it's just a strange, peculiar thing that so much of like demon possession horror is impacting little girls and making them like hypersexual and vulgar and go back to last week's episode because we actually kind of had a really good discussion about that there but yeah all three of those could be a hundred different things but I think queer is not one of the first things that would ever come to your mind so this was really amazing to to read and to learn about these authors takes Here's kind of a quote that goes well with what we were talking about. There's also the figure of the castrating woman, the protagonist of rape, revenge, and slasher films who survives by unmanning her chainsaw-wielding oppressor. This figure belongs to the realm of what Barbara Creed refers to as the monstrous feminine, a cluster of representations of women in horror that are projections of masculine anxieties. The vampire, the witch, the breeding alien, the aging psychopath, they bleed and bite and ooze and shapeshift, queering the categories that preserve the patriarchal order of things. Reagan McNeil is one of them, the possessed girl who collapses the boundary between self and other, and like Eve before her, admits the devil into the world of men. Horror plays with white patriarchal nightmares and taps into our ambivalence about normality, which means the potential for radical storytelling is always there. What a gorgeous analysis. The Monstrous Feminine is one of my favorite horror theories. So I love to see it talked about and I love to see it talked about through The Exorcist. And that was sort of a more feminist take on things, but it did spin into this queer reading of the of the movie, which S. Trimble likened to an, an, a piece of queer theory called reparative reading, which is where you read something and you and you sort of make it like I'm trying to think of a way to phrase this like reparative reading, like. You look at something that wasn't in, in like supposed to be for your marginalized group, but you make it make sense and you read it for your group of people. And so in this case, the reparative reading is occurring for queer people and it's occurring through the viewing of The Exorcist. And I think that's what was happening in a lot of these essays was this sort of reparative reading and I will want to speak on this a little bit too because I was asking around with all my queer all my queers and saying what's your favorite piece of queer cinema what's your favorite queer horror there is a lot of queer horror books there's more and more but every time I asked one of my friends about queer horror movies everybody was like I can't think of any 
queer horror movies. Um, they slash them just came out, but we all decided that that was a st- uh, an abomination, uh, a step back for queer cinema, to quote Jessica D'Ambrosio. But otherwise, people were like, I can't think of any, like, just plain queer horror. Yes, but what if we look at the horror we already have through this reparative reading, through this queer lens? And that's, I think, a big part of what It Came From the Closet is doing. I love this quote, too, from S. Trimble, which is, Horror was the playground where I learned to read this way, to send the entire story spinning off its axis by rooting for the monster. Horror helped me love my terrible truths, the things about me that disquieted others, amid the mayhem and the viscera, signposts pointing to queer futures. Another just gorgeous quote, and I loved that a lot of the authors in this collection were seeing themselves in the monster rather than in any of the other characters. I will say before moving on to some of my other favorite essays that I forget his name, but as Trimble sort of suggests that perhaps the ex the priest is queer in the exorcist and him what does he do? Does he fling himself out the window? When he flings himself out the window, that's him sacrificing himself so that Reagan can have a queer future. Which I thought was a very interesting reading of it. And you have to read the essay to really... I say all this hoping that the listeners are actually going to go back and are going to go forward, rather, and purchase the book and support feminist press and support these authors and read these essays and get their own reading of it. That's basically what I wanted to say before I was rudely cut off. Doom. Homophobia added again. I'm emailing Zoom and calling them out. We also, I think, need to talk about this because I think <laughs> I'm just like spinning off in different directions. But one thing that I think you might be able to hit on because your book is by a trans woman, which is just fucking awesome. This weird trope in horror to have trans people as monsters and cross dressers as monsters. This collection dove into a lot of unpacking that as well which i think was really important like buffalo bill for example what was the reason um so if that's a part of horror theory and the intersection of queer theory that you're interested in this collection does actually do a really good job at bringing that up again and again in different ways and in in really um interesting ways i'm gonna move on to continue to talk about monsters, but to to look at the essay, which is called Indescribable by Caro Narby, which is about the blob.
They say, it seems obvious, even silly, to point out the importance of monsters to queer people and queer cultural expression. So much has been made in cultural criticism of the monster's relationship to the other and to other sexualities and gender identities in particular. Vampires, for example, might be understood as an allegory for the fear of homosexuality as a social contagion. In queer culture, in the media and stories produced by queer people about ourselves, monsters represent our fears, traumas, aspirations, and desires. Mermaids, werewolves, cryptids, and witches all make regular appearances in work produced by queer storytellers. Because the monster embodies so much meaning at once, it remains a contradictory figure. In our distorted mirror image, our secret self, we are ambivalent toward the monster as we are towards ourselves. I just keep reading these and like, I don't even have anything else to like, I'm like, I don't have anything to add because you just articulated everything so beautifully. I don't know where I got this idea. <laughs> I'm literally, this is what happens if Marissa and I film at, at in the evening instead of in the morning because I kind of feel like I have sleepover manic energy and my brain is just going in a million different directions but I'm thinking about like monsters as queer and I'm thinking about how many gay people are just really in so much horror like why did it just come into my head haunting of hill house I'm like I'm surprised nobody I mean I guess because we were talking about movies and the original movie from way back in the day isn't super queer but the book is queer that shit was gay as fuck. When I read that in horror class, I was like, what the hell? And I don't know why, but like, this is all bringing me back to the horror class Marissa and I took in college. But was there something fruity in I Am Legend? Like, did you get something fruity about that? Like this person, Carol Narby talking about vampires as like a homosexual, like contagion. It brought images of I Am Legend into my head. And the other, that's what it really is. This fear of the other and how that has, how that can be related to queer folks. The fear of the white, straight, cis, patriarchy. That a lot of horror, all horror, I guess we kind of figure out in the end stems from, whether we're looking at the other, the oppressed and the repressed, the monstrous feminine, the abject, all stems from that. That's what I was really going to talk about when I talk about my book. Yeah. And the other thing that I've always thought was weird about the the Haunting of Hill House show mm -hmm. is that uh, Theo, yes. who is gay, gay, is the one who has that weird, like, sense with her hands. Yes. Like, she has, like, an extra sense yeah and I always there's like I I know that there's something there that my brain just hasn't struck on yet but there's something strange about that mm -hmm. um and the fact that like Theo can't I don't know something about the fact that they like really can't have a connection a, a physical connection to people like they don't she doesn't want that you know what I mean 
Yes. Something weird there. There's something going on. A little bit strange. Oh, I love it. Horror is just so full of like, no, 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 no. Like you just want to bite into it. There's so many things that you just want to bite into. And before, before I'm, I'm going to be basically done talking about the blob. But I'll say one more thing. Uh, of this sort of horror being an attack the monsters and horror being an attack on like the nuclear family or heterosexuality or the norm and sort of reclaiming that and i think carol narby and who, who i'm going to talk about next when i talk about godzilla sort of seeing themselves in the monster and reclaiming that horror theory that the monsters are attacked on the normative is really gorgeous to me. Really gorgeous to me. I'm always thinking about Jennifer's body and I'm just thinking back to like when I really had the chance to like dive into Jennifer's body and how like I wanted to talk about how that to me was an attack on normality as well like when she was like i'm not killing people i'm killing boys like just like the horror of jennifer and also that men really did not like that movie they didn't like it straight men they thought they were gonna like it because of miss megan fox and megan said absolutely not they were terrified and we love that but yeah just thinking about that Thinking about that as the blob and the blob just num 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 munching everybody up delicious. I also am always thinking about Night of the Living Dead. <laughs> Why are we on the same brainwave today? Because that's what that's what I'm gonna go back to. Oh my god, Night of the Living Dead. I want Marissa to talk about it because I just love Marissa's I've I've heard her talk about it before and I love it. But I'll never forget that end scene of the original Night of the Living Dead. Goosebumps. Goosebumps. And I think that's a really interesting way to look at it. And now I'm like, okay, now I have my queer horror book. Let's see a horror anthology of essays from Black horror writers. I think that would be sick. Like Jordan Peele, hello. Um, maybe you could put this together. I don't know. Maybe somebody else could. Somebody does do an essay on Get Out in and Us. And it came from the closet. So that's another reason for people to buy this. Um, but yeah, ooh, ooh, that shit. Night of the Living Dead. Chef's Kiss. We'll talk about it again later. Now I'm going to talk about my last essay that I loved even though I really enjoyed a lot of the essays I read, and that's the working definition of the monstrous. I highlighted so many passages in this that I'm like, which will I even talk about? The first thing I will say <laughs> is that I also want to just go back and say Narby does a very cool analysis of the blob 
and the blob is abject in their essay. And it's a really long analysis, so I'm not going to read it, but I just want everybody to remember that for when they buy it, they buy the book to support feminist press. Um, and they and they get to that part. I just want everybody to lock that in their brains. Without further ado, Godzilla. One thing I loved right off the bat, they got me, was Ryan brought up Ann Carson, Autobiography of Red, which was also just a book that when I first read it, like I have not touched it again since, but it kind of changed my life when I read it for the first time in ways that I can't fully describe. And that was very clear to me. Um, it's very clear, I think, for a lot of people. And so I just loved Ryan bringing that up. And I personally didn't have this experience, so I can't personally speak to this, but Ryan talks about how he recognized himself in Garyon, Grayon, Garyon, from the autobiography of Red. And I just thought that was really beautiful. And he sort of goes on to talk about recognizing himself in Godzilla. And there's this really beautiful passage from one of the, right, very at the beginning, right after he's talking about the strangeness and beauty of um, Anne Carson's writing, where he says, what does it mean to be a monster? To fail in the predictable ways. It is the queer light that comes from the burning city underwriting Godzilla's power. His capacity for destruction lies just as ably within as without. <laughs> what does it mean to be a monster to fail in the predictable ways? That's crazy. I love it. I love it. I love it. I also think for those of us who love to study horror theory, this book really can be a textbook in a lot of ways and Ryan goes into this really good analysis so he asks us what is a monster and then he tells us <laughs> and he says a working definition of the monstrous one behaviors appearances or appetites that are unrecognizably different from one's own two some invisible form that keeps one apart from others or some otherness that marks one as though by an invisible force. And three, someone you would watch die. And Godzilla goes on to talk, Godzilla, Godzilla goes on to talk. See, this is why I'm losing my mind. Ryan goes on to talk. It's that last one for me. First of all, love part one and part two of that statement. But three, someone you would watch die. And he goes on to talk about the AIDS epidemic and how people were so willing to watch gay men die because they because they perceive them as other, because they perceive them as having appetites or desires or morals or whatever it, different to their own. And I just thought that was such a deep, like really, really, really interesting way. And I think that's something that has probably come up in other horror as well. And I wonder if that's gonna be a thing too in 
manhunt because when you brought up that you used a really good phrase but you said other women are trying to kill the women the main girls in manhunt because of like you said something fears it's like because because of the fear of this disease that could it's truthfully it's people being ignorant yes and seeing like a trans woman and being like oh well they can still be affected by this disease right like they are still man right and you saying that that reminded me of like it felt very turfy to me and i hate a turf turfs are my least they're called in the book they're called turfs they're called turfs turfs are my least favorite kind of thing ever there ever was and it reminds me of that of like we're all the same like women trans women women we're all women like we're all chilling and turfs are just so there's something so fucked up in their brains that they like see trans women as this other as and like they're they're willing someone you're willing to watch die and i think that's just really interesting and i'm excited to hear you talk about it with manhunt but by the way we hate turfs everyone we're not fans this is a total side point, but um, I saw a TikTok the other day that said maybe J.K. Rowling is tr- uh, is trans. What if Jake? I also just think J.K. is such a stupid bitch because she is going to go ahead and have a male pen name. And right from the perspective of a male character for years and years and years and years. So well, by the way. <laughs> What interesting. <laughs> I'm gonna have to find it if I can send it to you. Um, I'd like to see that. I hate JK Rowling. The new like illustrated prisoner of Azkaban came out, and I was like, I don't want to promo this at my bookstore. But you They're have really beautiful though. They are really gorgeous to me, but not because it I don't want JK. All my homies hate JK. Um that was all my notes with Godzilla. That was those were all the essays that really stood out to me, and I'll sort of stop myself from continuing to ramble and talk in circles. But there was just a lot of really cool shit happening in in it came from the closet, and I'm really excited that I got to talk about these essays. But I also didn't get to talk about a bunch more. There's one that's about Jaws which was really interesting. And the, I love, you know, I love it. I love the fear of castration. It's one of my other favorite horror theories. <laughs> I'm like just listening. I'm like every horror theory, that's my favorite. Um, but sh- comparing the appetite of the shark to the appetite of a woman and comparing the teeth and the chomping to a vagina. And I was like, <laughs> also teeth, that is a horror movie where a girl has teeth in her vajay fun times and the last thing i'll say to end my piece with is one quote from the text that says monsters not heroes were my friends and that just is really sweet to me
and I love the monsters are my friends. The witches are my friends. And I just really love that. Um, this book is simultaneously bone chilling and like a warm hug. That's how I want to describe it. And it's a it's it's a trick and a treat. <laughs> it's fun and it's enthralling. I'm just gonna list off like Lady Gaga when she's like totally original, never the same, completely not ever been done before. Thank you, Feminist Press, for it came from the closet. We love it, and I'm excited to hear more to talk more about it on part two. But now. It's Marissa's turn to talk about queer horror. We love horror theory. We love it. We love it. We love it. Um, in case people don't know, my favorite concept in horror is the gaze. And I do not be talking about the male gaze. I'd be talking about the fact that everything you look at is also looking back at you. I think about it all the time. It makes me want to cry. All the I will just be sitting there minding my own business and I'm suddenly like, my cereal is looking at me while I'm looking at it. Hate that. Hate it. Um, but let's get into Manhunt. So um, there's a couple things I want to say about this. First of all, just reading it, it feels like YA. And I don't mean that in a bad way. So hold on a second. I don't mean that it feels like some way it feels underdeveloped a little bit and it feels very teenager in values and things like that. This, this book is very, very much adult. But what I mean is you have two people who are like surviving an apocalypse together and you 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 attach to them in a way that you attach to YA characters um and you know I think like a lot of the apocalyptic horror that I've read doesn't have a whole bunch of action in it and and this does which is like why a apocalyptic horror like this reminds me of um like the fifth wave and i think of also gone um a little bit the maze runner like just just having an apocalypse and having action you would think would be common sense but i mean the road the road had very minimal action if any at all and there's nothing wrong with that but it also makes me think and this is like kind of another tangent but here we are so let's just do it one thing about literary fiction that drives me nuts is and i hate saying this because i feel like it's snobby but i'm gonna say it um it's almost like the stakes are never high enough in literary fiction there's there's always just like one problem and it's barely a problem if there's a problem at all there's something about YA where you have 10 problems happening at once
and so like this book again very adult do not give this to your do not give this to your 14 year old child probably not i don't know maybe i was probably i eh, I was probably reading something that said 14 doesn't matter either way i'm just saying it's not like it's not immature it's not like drama it's just simply the action that's in it you are going to be entertained the whole time um and you are going to like become attached to these characters which leads me into my next thing that i want to talk about this idea in horror of the other and I know in the beginning I was talking about how this is um, modern horror. I'm going to read this quote on the back. It says, every 10 years or so, a horror novel comes along that pushes the genre to terrifying new heights. Manhunt is such a novel, an emotional buzzsaw of a book that left me shaken. That's from Brian Keene. Okay. And I just think that The other has been used so many times for so many different things. So many different creatures are the concept of the other. Even, even slashers, there, there is an idea of othering in slasher films. Both othering of the slasher and of the final girl. Um which so much to unpack there, but, and um, this is what I was going to talk about with Liza, zombies, anytime there's a zombie thing, they, it is immediately othering, and it is immediately a social commentary, every time, every time it is, and so the interesting thing with Night of the Living Dead is you don't know it, you don't realize what is actually being said until that last scene and that's the scariest part of the film you literally see zombies and like i get it that this movie's old like everyone's like this movie's not scary but i mean for back then that this was scary and you're literally seeing humans zombies with their hands in like Things that actually look like intestines and guts and and raw meat and all this stuff. And they're eating it and they're touching it and they're like covered in blood and putting it in their mouth and on their face. And like, and the scariest part is the end scene that has no zombies in it. How wild is that? And it's just simply that You spend this whole movie identifying with a character that you're like, this, this, this character's gonna live and survive, and I'm gonna survive with that character. And then, like, it's it's almost not until the end that you realize that you've done that, and you realize how like effed up their social commentary is. And, and truthfully, that is groundbreaking work in the horror world. So, okay, why am I talking about this movie from so long ago or whatever? Because that same thing is being done in this book. You have two trans women 
who at this time like not not everyone is supportive of trans people and so you have this book of these two trans women who are dealing with the this hungry disgusting um aggressive group of the male species and i literally mean like they are the kind of zombies that are like aggressive like they would like they want to hurt you that's what they want to do they're not even called zombies in the book but there we go and then you also have women who also have to deal with the aggressive man creatures but you have women who are also trying to kill you because they see you as a threat when you're not And you're going to spend this whole book identifying with these two characters and feeling close to them. And isn't that like exactly the point? Like, I think that this is horror that's pushing horror boundaries because it's doing the same thing that Night of the Living Dead did, which is it's showing you exactly how the world is right now. You just, you're just not going to think about it. You're going to be like, oh, we're in an apocalypse. That's it. But it's literally showing you your world right now. It's showing you reality. And that's the scariest thing. That's what makes horror so good. All of the time. And, and of course, there there is like campy horror, and there is horror that is maybe not as loud as some of the other issues that are happening. Um, but 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 that's what puts books and movies and horror like this a step ahead, because they're willing to show you. They're, they're literally willing to hold a mirror up to you and be like, okay, how do you feel about that? And I don't like, obviously, people who, who there are people who will, who will never pick up this book, who probably could learn from it but also are those people going to be affected by it the way that they should maybe not but um yeah and and me and Liza didn't plan to do this we were both going to talk about it came from the closet Um, And we had a little mix up and then I was just thinking about it. And I just really figured that this book, that Manhunt in particular fit so well, not only because it's queer, but because it, 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 as a, a book, as a story, it should be held up with these other 
queer pieces of work or or it it should be held up with things that are being looked through a queer lens and things that are um classic in a sense um so that's really all I want to say about it because I do want people to read it and I and I also just think that I don't know. I just I just think that people should really pick it up and and read it and ignore like it's the front cover is one of those annoying ones that like the cover is shorter than the pages and it says the end of the world is nuts. Annoy like ignore that annoying crap because that that is like stupid. But um because this book is serious. There is serious things about this book even though like the two characters even being in serious situations, they they do kind of like I don't know. They're friends. They're they're you know when you're with your friend and you just have one of those moments where you just say like something silly, even though you're really really stressed out. It's like kind of like that. Um, but this is a book to take seriously, and this is definitely a book. It just came out March twenty twenty two, so it is new. And it's definitely worth reading. Oh, Liza, I don't even think that we we thought about this. Our whole month has kind of been queer horror. Like, like I know we did Hispanic Heritage where we both did kind of like creepy books, but our talk on possession, possession in, in itself is a little bit queer. Um, and then last month, I know we read Elena's slasher film, um, but there were queer characters in that. Yes. So we can count it. And then we're doing this week. And then next week's a continuation of this week. Mm-hmm. And then uh, for the last week, we're going to do like a creature type thing. And I'm reading Clive Barker. And I'm reading the book that influenced Hellraiser. Yeah. All queer things. Our, and then sl- we're doing Slasher. And that's there's I think there's some queer shit happening in our slasher, and then just a creature feature in general is kind of gay. Very much so. But what? That's so good. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um. Additionally, I love what you were saying about manhunt, and I said it once. I'll say it again. My favorite quote, maybe ever, is Jordan Peele saying get out is a documentary but he said that that was crazy but it reminds me of what you're saying about manhunt manhunt is a documentary i also think there's a lot to be said about abject because when i when i think of abject right i think of it's when you look at something that you're repulsed because it is something that is supposed to be familiar but isn't and that sort of bridges into the uncanny as well which we can talk about a whole nother time because uncanny is actually very different than the uncanny valley and it's important to distinguish the two but when I think of abject right I think of like a dead body and I think we're gonna we're going to experience abjection. We're going to experience a repulsion because we recognize that that used to be a person, but now it's a thing. 
And I have read theory in the past about how men view women as abject because they recognize that it's a person, but it's different from them. And I think that's happening in queer horror too, and the monster and the other. And I think that that's really happening, it sounds like, in Manhunt, where the cis women are looking at these two trans women and they're being turfs and they are turfs and that's what they're called in the book but they're they're saying like that's what I meant earlier too when I was like there's something just wrong in turfs heads like there's something fucked up in their brains that's just stupid but like looking at trans women and saying that's me but it's not me and therefore it's an enemy and therefore it's an assault on my femininity, even though it has nothing to freaking do with you. And we're all women and we're all hanging out and we're all having a party. Like, that's just interesting. The abject and the other. We love to see it. And it's also like, in this book, if the two characters run out of their pills, mm-hmm. their estrogen, they do have the chance to start feeling whatever this sickness is because i think the sickness like eats at your y chromosome or something and that's why it only affects men something like that interesting and so i'm like there is like they're not a threat but i guess there is some kind of possibility for a threat i guess but just the fact that if the turfs could just stop and like I don't know, even consider that, like consider that consider that like anyone can be saved with estrogen. Then they could be stopping this whole thing all together right but they want other people so badly that they want to prolong their own suffering right isn't that wild that's so interesting i would also be very interested to hear a trans person talk about this because also we obviously know that estrogen doesn't make you a woman like there are plenty of trans women that aren't on estrogen there are plenty of trans men that aren't on t and like that's so interesting two and, the- and i don't know why the estrogen keeps whatever this is at bay i don't right. know so that's interesting and sort of the world building that has to be done when you're you're trying to do something like this like i'd love to i'd love to hear from a trans person who read this and i'd love to hear from the author about like they were what they were thinking well also correct me if i'm wrong when women are on their periods and they get like hormone fluctuations and they get really mean, isn't that when they have a spike in testosterone? Is that is it that or is it progesterone? Or does I don't it, know. Your estrogen drops, I think, right before your period, right? Which is rude. Which is rude. But you know what? That's a good question. We don't know nothing about science. Mm-mm. We're just girlies. We're not science girlies. No, 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 no. We're literature and history girlies. We're not science and math girlies. That's not for us. That's an interesting question, though. 
Well, I guess we'll never know. <laughs> never know. How freaking fun. I can't wait to read Manhunt eventually. It's a must. Especially like to read it in the year that it came out. It feels really special. We love to do that. We love to read new books and especially like a new trans woman author like Houseley. Mm-hmm. But I don't really have anything else. Do you have anything else? That's it. That was put it for next week. Next week. Next week, part two of It Came From The Closet. And I'll be talking about another queer piece of fiction. And we'll let it be another little sneaky surprise. We love it. (laughs) But come back next week. Maybe you'll have time to buy It Came From The Closet by then. And you can gush about it along with us. Please do. That would be so much fun. We love you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Peace out. Peace out. That's my girl. Um, hello, LGBTQ. 